Good afternoon, boys. How you doing? Yeah, good, Thomas. Yourself? Excellent. Good afternoon. It's afternoon already. Yeah, Jesus. No, I know. Great morning. It was good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Long Always. time between drinks. Always. Pardon the pun. When was the last time you did group training apart from recruit course? Well, you know, the uh, now it's post-isolation, so we can do these things. And, um, for about another 24 hours. I thought, <laughs> yeah, well, I thought I'd do something special for these boys over here. So let's have a look at today's format. We have now decided to stick to one bottle, but it has to be around the $100 mark. Can't mm -hmm. go over that. Obviously, the, the closer, the better. If you spend less, you have to then get a second bottle to punish it everybody. It's $19 close. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but actually, the market value of that bottle is 99 Okay. So How much did you pay for Maybe, it? maybe... Oh. Yeah, no, but he had it from the shop at 120 Yeah, 119 It was on that Dan Murphy's 119 and it was on special for 80 for Dan Murphy members. Ah, the Dan card. That's in 2013, though. 2013, yeah. It, it actually goes up. It varies between $99 the 17 to you can get. 139 I don't know yeah. why, but I resisted getting a Dan Murphy's card for years and years and years. I think it was trying to not admit that I was an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> It was only about three months ago I got my Dan Murphy's card. The discounts it. are off their head. Yeah, they're good. Well, tell us about that wine, man. So this is a it's a Penfolds Bin 407. Um, it's a pure Cab Sav uh, grape. It's not a blend. But the interesting thing from this, and you've got to think about the, the volume of wine that Penfolds obviously creates, they've actually got six different regions where they get their grapes from in, in South Australia. So it's not just the Barossa. They get it from the Clare Valley and quite a few others in South Australia. This is actually from five of their regions, but they're all pure Cab Sav grapes. Wow. It's actually an offshoot of their 707. I'm not sure how they come across it, but it was a, an experiment they did uh, doing the 707, and they've come across this one. This is a 2013, and I looked into what is, what's the bin, especially with Penfolds. They've got a lot of bins. And yep. they, like, for example, I think the, the Grange is their flagship wine. It's a bin 95, I think it is. It's got nothing to do with the number, how high or how low it is, the value of the bottle or the quality of the wine. It's actually where it's stored um, within the, the, the winery itself. So um, obviously 407 and 707, they're quite close. And then you have the other bins that be further out um, and... So they refer to the vats as bins that they store the wines in. It's aged in French and American oak for quite a few years before it's bottled. And uh, I hope it's as good as it smells because <laughs> it smells fantastic. Yeah. Let's try awesome. this. Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. One bottle. Mate, you better go take slowly your on time. this one. Here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear oh yeah. We're not going back to three bottles. <laughs> oh, that is bloody good. <laughs> we're not oh. going back to three bottles. Oh I was actually thinking over the weekend, like how are we going to punish each other? Because we still have to win. I mean, we salespeople, we still have to, <laughs> still have to win. It's a monthly award then. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking maybe the worst bottle out of the three. Mm. Well, that person will be punished with that one extra bottle in, you know, after that. Oh, that's a not I a bad believe idea. we need an impartial uh, judge though, because I keep getting cruel by the Russian judge, the One Nation Party over here. <laughs> Well, no, it's about voting. We, we are three fair guys. We believe in fairness. <laughs> yeah, good. If you go on, on, on labels like the last one, yeah. you have to pick nah, a bad funny one. Funny story. Funny story about our wines from last week, Chris. -o. What happened? 
both made by exactly the same company out of exactly the same factory. House? House. <laughs> so my wife listened to the podcast and she's like, I look up these wines and she heard me bagging you for using a company that makes wine. The fourth wave wines, yeah. She typed in where yours came from and next to yours was mine and then all the other <laughs> all the other wines I buy from Liquorland that have got cool labels. All from the same Fourth bloody company. Wine. There you go. <laughs> all from the there same company. There you go, <laughs> hey. There's honesty for you. But I can tell you, I, I shared something with you yesterday when I was looking for this wine. I was, I think for me, Dan Murphy's is like bloody Bunnings. I just love walking around and looking at all the wines, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you guys. It's just, and I could walk into Dan's and spend an hour and a half just looking at the this, staff but, are the oh. same. They can tell you exactly where the screwdriver <laughs> is. <laughs> so I was looking for this wine yesterday. I'm thinking about the new format to the show. And I'm thinking, listen, I, I'm a red drinker. Thomas is a red drinker, but Cam's usually a white drinker. Yeah. And we're looking around the $100 frame. I mean, I think, Cam, you're going to have to switch to reds, mate, because there's not uh, a lot of whites in that sort of price bracket. Some very nice shardies from other parts of the world, mate, that, that hit that okay. number. Okay. Okay. The one I had in a restaurant last night was well over that number. Yeah, but in the restaurant, you're probably it's probably forty dollars on Dan Murphy's shelf. So well, one hundred eighty dollars in a restaurant's probably going to be what ninety or a hundred in oh, retail. Who knows, who knows? But yeah, probably the That's selection big. wasn't as big. The selection wasn't as big for your whites and that sort of price yeah. bracket to your reds. In you that just price don't bracket. worry about what I'm doing, mate. You just worry about <laughs> what you're doing. Okay, <laughs> you mind your own. Worry yeah. about your own backyard. <laughs> See, that, that was the spin he did. He was, yeah, he sorry, was trying yeah, to help this. you. But what he's trying to do now is really covering for himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's watching. Oh, you, huh? you won't be able to Set, do it. Setting some landmines up for you, mate. The, can, uh, can sniff out a free drink. Don't mate, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take you know take your wine as long as it's a good wine. But, you know, we're happy to, for you to buy that third bo- the other extra bottle because you're going to lose. Mate, but that's I'm excited because when you get up into the premium, premium whites and chardonnays, they are... Yeah, fair enough. And and don't just think only Chardonnay. No, that's even my Sauvignon Blanc at the top. I've never drank a uh, real premium. Oh no, no, man, I loved it. I had one. It was just amazing. Yeah. So whenever you go for that kind of top level, you have something that is so structured, so well yeah. done. Yeah, it's funny because I, I think if you were to do a poll, most of the public would think that perceive that red wine is the stuff that ages, and yeah. whenever you buy a premium, top notch. Wine, it's usually a red, but mate, some of the, as Thomas said, I haven't tried a top notch Sav Blanc, but yeah, mate, some of the Shardies okay. are just the dream. The thing, the, the one we drank last night was, I nearly, I nearly made love to it. Well, it was, uh, was that good? Yeah, okay, yeah. even a red drinker like you would get into it, I think, mate. You know, the, the, looking into this wine, uh, looking a little bit deeper into the wine instead of just buying it, opening it and drinking it, we're <laughs> looking a little bit deeper. A lot of the websites have um, not only serving notes and accompanying editions and so forth, but they'll have best drinking times for the release of the wine. Um, so this is a 2013, and the best drinking time was from 2017 to 2022, uh, 23, I think it was, for this wine. Um, so <laughs> we've... And I was an accident, and I just happened to stumble across that. So we're right in the middle of that. I think we've picked the perfect time. Yeah, so. and the good thing about Penfolds, it's made by Treasury Wine Estate, and they're predicting, because of COVID, a uh, downturn of uh, 20%. Well, Hence, it explains your 20%. Special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 20% <laughs> discount, right? <laughs> trying to sell it. Awesome. All right, boys, what a week. Full what on. an amazing week. We, some of the things now that we've been talking about, some has happened as we speak, as we sit here. I think it was yesterday, wasn't it, that the uh, the, the border between New South Wales and... Midnight last night. Wow. So we're going so back to going square one, are we? What, what's happening? Today they were talking about reworking the borders. So Albury became part of Victoria. 
because they don't want anyone from Albury, Albury Wodonga, coming up here. The, the Albury mayor was on uh, the radio blowing up Deluxe. Wow! They let fifty idiots get off a plane yesterday that hadn't been tested and run rampant. And um, I haven't heard because we've been inside all day. Maybe you have heard, Chriso, but the premier was supposed to make an announcement announcing some more restrictions for us on uh, group gatherings and, I haven't and heard, I haven't things heard of the like. No. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I've been very adamant that I, for one, won't be getting locked down again, but <laughs> it's coming. You know, it's it's funny, and I don't know how it works when they say, you know, there was a plane full of people that just went straight through and didn't get quarantined or tested or whatever. Because I know specifically yesterday, uh, one of our work colleagues had to come back from Melbourne and she put, got put through the ringer through Sydney Airport. You know, quarantine tested, you know, temperatures, the whole lot um, before they were let out. And the Chester obviously go to self-isolation now for two weeks. But so how do, how do you think one plane gets slipped through and then all the others get tested so rigorously? A, the, the little bit I heard, and I, I'm happy to be proven wrong here, but it sounded like a scheduling thing where the, the testers weren't on site and the emergency services weren't on site and the plane had landed and they rang and said, you do not let anyone off a plane until we get there, and no one had passed on the message. So I don't know. I haven't been in an airport, so I don't know how far apart the flights are at the moment. Yeah, right. Maybe there aren't testers there 24-7 because there aren't that many flights, but the people were en route to do the testing, but somehow Jetstar managed to bugger it up, and um, half of them got away. I think they managed to get half of them before they left the airport. Did they come from – where did it come from? Victoria. Yeah, it came from Melbourne. It came from Melbourne. Yeah. Well, okay. So, but I mean, I don't know. It's, I think what we're seeing in Victoria is it was sort of my prediction for a worldwide thing. If they try and lock us down, they're just refusing in Victoria. They were. They're just refusing to be tested and, and fighting tooth and nail to, to not be locked down again. And that's why the instances of cases has, has gone up again. But I'm still, like, I think two people have died. Yeah. I'm st- one was 96, one was 66 with pre existing medical. Yeah, right. So I'm still, still don't care. Yeah. Lock up the elderly, up the kids, let the rest of us go about our business because there's way more people with the flu at the moment than there is with bloody COVID. Yeah, but that's not the direction they're going, right? It's from day one, they've gone into the direction. If it goes above a certain level, which is a level where the emergency can't cope with, then they have to lock people down. And so when you look at all this, maybe that's where they're going to go again. Like just today, about an hour ago, they uh, had a surge of 19 cases just in New South Wales. So I don't know we're going to go there again. Yeah, 28 and people are missing from that plane. So what are we going to do then? Are we going to go out there and carry banners and say, no, we want wear a mask, we want self-isolate? Is that what we're going to be doing? I'm going to ride it on my naked body and walk down this road. That's, <laughs> I'm not going back. Oh, well, these are the things that we're going to have to really discuss. There's no more know. lantana on your land, mate. <laughs> well, I, I can create lantana for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was funny today, you opening up with that, the injuries you copped during the last isolation. You're not going back. Oh, how funny. Well, that was a very good group, though. It's unfortunate without training. It's because of COVID now, we can't have more than 10 people in the room. And so what we did was that the first in best dress kind of policy, yep. even though the group was then small, it was actually very, very deep today for a lot of these guys. Training based on the SMS is really something that we need to go by. It's taken me so many years of training to really come up with that concept, but I think it's going to enrich people, not just training them. Yeah. For me, it was good to see a couple other leaders in the room. When the, when the training first comes up and it's 10 spots only, my first thought is 
I shouldn't take one of those spots because there's newer salespeople who need it more than me. But so I felt a little bit guilty when I did. But I've been going through a bit of a form slump and yeah. the realization that my skills aren't where they need to be in a listing sense. And I needed the training, so I took the spot. Beautiful. You know, and then we had Joel there and Sam there and even and Rod there. Right. Unless you're a guy who's listing and selling 30 houses a month, can't be under the illusion that you're as skilled as you need to be or that you don't need training anymore. And I think that, I think a lot of our leaders could do with that realisation themselves and, yeah, and get, back, get back to basics themselves, not be too proud to sit there and role play. I mean, that was... It was great for me today. And what do they say? In a case of emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first. So if your team's in a slump and you feel that maybe you can help the team, maybe your training needs to be sharper. So, Well, there's absolutely. no bad can come from it. I mean, That's right. Being in a room full of people who are trying to get better is obviously very, very good for the soul. There was plenty of lines that were thrown out there today that I hadn't heard. New lines and new angles and new approaches. And then the old adage that you, you learn by teaching – to, to be in there and to be able to help a couple of new recruits and give them pointers made me really click to some of the things that I'd been fucking up on. Yep. And, um, yeah, I encourage – yeah, we've got to find that balance because you can't only fit 10 people in a room and, in you know, I guess philosophically, do new recruits need it more than existing leaders because if the leaders can't aren't as sharp as they need to be, it's probably going to be more damaging to their teams than not potentially. So maybe that thinking needs to be flipped a little bit. I'm not sure. I think they need it differently. I think they need it differently. People have needed have different wants and needs at the different times. Well, everything's changed, though, Chris. So yeah. the market's changed. Like the, the real estate, I wasn't in it 10 years ago, but I'm pretty sure real estate isn't what it is 10 years yeah. ago. And I can't list a property the same way I could five years ago. Yeah. So if you're someone who's been in the industry for 20 years and you've never learned a new presentation, a new line or any new skills, yeah. you are failing and you're not going to be able to pass that on. You, you've got a whole bunch of the new generation coming into your office how can you possibly train them if you're not trained in the new way of doing yeah, things it's yourself? Very good point, so, mate. Very good point. Yeah, interesting. One thing you know, I saw on the, right at towards the end, which I picked up was, which I haven't seen you do a lot of in the past, Thomas. More so recently, and it comes back to what we've been saying about critical thinking here. That many a time that I would have gone into a training session, enjoyed the training session, and but not analysed what specifically I got out of it and what parts with your SMS. But today you went around the table and you asked specifically people specific questions about, okay, skill, mindset, and self. What did you get out of it? I think that forces everyone to reflect there and then why it's still fresh in their mind to really get what lesson, skill, mindset, and self did I get out of it today? So tomorrow, the next day, next week, next year, I can reflect on that even further. So I think that was very, very good. And it's forcing people to have that immediate critical thinking yeah. of what they just learned. It was very good. It's ingraining new habits too. I mean, a lot of people would have sat there and realised I didn't take any notes the session and, oh, shit, now I'm getting quizzed on it. And hopefully that starts to develop a habit for them where they know this might be the case. And it's probably not happening in offices enough. Well, actually, yeah, I've never done it. I've never got to the end of a training session and sat there and said, righto, what did we learn? So, yeah, no, good, very good. What did you learn? I have to check my notes. No. What, what is the one thing that you'd say from this last session here you got out of? Well, I said it a couple of times in there. The big thing for me is... You're never good enough. You're never finished. For me, as a leader, watching you work again and, and someone who's trying to build a, a new team again in, in my own business, the way you interacted, you've changed your training style. You had some opportunities there where the old version of Thomas <laughs> would have kept going and kept going and, and hammering someone until they got it right. And today I saw you, you gave them a confidence again because I guess in, a, in an environment where there's 10 people versus 20 people, you'd know where to hide. So there's a lot of pressure for those guys that are on the spot because there's nowhere 
there's no way that no one is watching what was going on. So I saw your um, your ability and your want to not take them quite to the point that I've seen you take people in the past. And I guess that's depending on their their experience. I'm thinking if you had ten of us leaders in the room, a completely different story. And and it's got to be based on skill and experience. And that's you know that's another learning point. You can't treat someone who's two days in the industry the same as someone who's ten years yeah. in the industry. You yeah. Can't do it. So. And just on a personal level, get around more people who are who are training and trying to grow. Like, oh, yeah, we've been using the excuse that we don't have a lot of staff in the office at the moment, and we've been in isolation, so there hasn't been a lot of training. And mate, the rust, you never ever forget to f- ride the bike, as you say. But there's levels to riding a bike. Yeah, you can go from being a, a stunt bike rider to back to someone who's trying to. You might still know how to pedal down the street, but occasionally you're going to fall off. So. Yeah. Yeah, but the self is very, very important, you know. I've really been trying to do this, but if there's one place where I have evolved our training a bit is that the inclusion of self has to be way bigger than before. I think that most training only go on skill. Then most motivation only go on mindset. But true training has to focus on self because these people here, unless their self has got a better foundation, they're going to go. I mean, I've seen great salespeople or young up-and-coming salespeople being destroyed or walking away from the industry for a few reasons. One, their leader or their manager has never really spent any time on developing their self. When you look at Thomas Fye from Wisebury Charm Haven, for example, when I asked him about his self, he, he couldn't really say it. He was... He was a bit lost, mainly because he didn't understand it. And then suddenly when I did the explanation about that silent witness, suddenly he came up with such a gem mm-hmm. that was so genuine. Everyone could see he had connected with this, but he couldn't put it into words. And when you do that, you then have a salesperson who now has found purpose, you know? And we'll look a little deeper. I mean, it was very easy to see where the focus has been because when you did ask, what did you get out of the day? There was people that were able to rattle off 10 skill issues. And when it came to mindset and self, even mindset was a struggle for a lot. Just, yeah. And I saw it in the role plays. I saw it. They were so focused on trying to sell and trying to come up with a fancy line instead of being who they are and having a sense of self that they were, they were never going to get it. They, they're trying to fight knowledge with who they are, with their body language, and it was, you know, some of them having fits at some points, not you know, metaphorically speaking. So I think, and it's going to be a repetitious thing, you're just going to have to keep talking about it too. You're going to have to throw a lot of mud, I think, before it sticks because we're, we're in an industry where everyone's just looking for the next one line. And I'm using air quotes because for people who can't see, some of the best trainers in the country, the most popular trainers, all they are is great at, producing or copying one line yeah so everyone's focusing on that you know a couple of the guys said to me today oh that's a great line i'm going to use it don't worry about the line the reason it worked on you is because i was cam when i said it i wasn't trying to sell you a car i wasn't trying to think of the next line i just yeah so that's why i don't really worry about line i said to them you know that the entire session just came out as i was doing the session there was no notes i i was working from zero notes explaining to salespeople that you can do a, a three-hour session without notes and you go with the flow, but then as you build it, there it seems to be a structure. There seems to be a rigidity about what you're doing. That's because you now can trust that uh, unconscious knowledge. You know, it's a little bit like the three of us can be driving without even having to worry now mm. about adjusting our mirrors, seat belt, looking at where the, the handbrake is. I mean, we can do all these things. It's a lot of study, though, and a lot of knowledge goes into it. You... I said to one of my guys yesterday, I said, we've 
got to yes, we have to learn lines because you got to have all the files in the back of your head. So when something is said to you or when a situation arises, you can go to the filing cabinet and pull out the right yeah. folder. Yeah, and that's where you're finding the balance between studying the lines because it's still important. You still have to have that knowledge. You still have to be able to pull it out at the right time. But until you know it so well that it comes out naturally, it's yeah. never, ever, ever going to work for you. That's right. The science is there. T.L. knows the science. The 93% body language versus the 7% words. But sometimes if you don't fully understand the words, you can still really say the wrong thing at the wrong time and fuck something up. It's finding that never-ending balance, but it all comes back to, in the end, well, knowledge is power. And that's knowledge about self or knowledge about skill. If you've got all the right files in the filing cabinet, you are almost guaranteed that when someone says, I need that file, you will pull it out. Did you see, though, did you see a lot of those people today, uh, when you're giving them those lines, writing them down? Do, or they are these people, are the people still relying, trying to rely on their memory to recall this stuff? There wasn't a lot of, Thomas was very heavy on taking notes on what he was saying, but they weren't lines about how to overcome an objection or anything like that. The whole session was body language and speed of delivery and, and all that sort of stuff. And that was the biggest issue when we were role-playing with people. Your guy from your office, I, I like him, really lovely. Which one? Kid, Joe. Joe, yep. Not, not the bloke who had to buy us 18 mango smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> 10, because he's only 10 about. he was so <laughs> worried, mate, about what everyone else he, was doing and, and thinking. He goes, I just don't want to fuck it up. I said, who and, cares? Yeah. I said, look around you. I said, do you think they're nervous? He goes, yeah. I said, so who gives a fuck, mate? Yep. Say it. Do what you want. For me as his trainer, I, I, I'm, I've, I feel reassured because I've been trying to get that through to him. And I'm at the skill level, as Thomas says, but I'm at that same point where I know his issue and I just say, just just stuff it up, man. Just, just say it. I don't care about your words. Just deliver it. So has there been a situation, though, where that hasn't been the case and he has fucked up and someone's jumped on him for it? Because those nerves have to have come from somewhere. Like yeah, I think that's ingrained in because it's been from day one. It's been from day one in the office. So I think actually it's come from somewhere else in his life. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a weakness that has come from probably his younger days that he has embraced that into his self. And so whether he's now doing the job, if you took him into soccer, rugby, whatever it is, it will still come out the same. You're dealing with the self. And what happened is that as a trainer, really you guys have to make sure that the self is being strengthened every single time that you're doing an exercise. So when I'm doing an exercise with someone, that person thinks that I'm going onto the lines. They didn't get it. All I'm looking at is, is he undermining himself through his mindset? Or does he have a hole in his self in such a way that the skill and the mindset doesn't make a difference? And I think that that's the skill that you as a trainer have to develop to yeah. be able to see it straight away. And it was very interesting to see Rod Dillon, for example, who, for me, Rod Dillon runs Wisebury in Peninsula. I know in terms of skill and growth, the dude has gone leaps and bounds over the last few years. But it was very interesting to see how involved he was because he thought it's not good enough. Because if in one session, Thomas, he's gone to another level. Thank God I'm here taking notes. Thank God I've witnessed the three hours. Because like Cam's saying, yeah, I've gone to the next level. I have not gone to the next level. It's the same level, but I now have been able to cut it down into more steps, if you will. It's one thing to be able to grab a ball on, on the football field. And I know you're a good rugby player in your old days. So if I pass you the ball, you would be able to do something. And sometimes some of these guys do things without being able to explain. You notice that? So you you do things, but you can't explain it. That's, to me, not mastery. That's great player. 
to me, mastery is not only great playing, but also getting to the level where you can really break down the steps and you can really take someone through the step and you show them and they're going to go back to a different level. I guarantee you Rod's going to go back to his office. You're going to go back to your office and the way you train is going to be very different. You're going to be so mindful about SMS. You're going to f- find out that that person is missing the last S. That person downfall is M. You, you, you know, and you probably with practice know how and what to do in order to get one of the three back up, right? Yeah, yeah a lot of learning to do, but the, the awareness of it. Jay started on Monday. It's a completely different learning curve and learning experience because we're very right. different so culture. So the Vietnamese Jay from the kids recruit training, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. I'm with you. I'm with you. Right. So the learning curve there is going to be a great one, a steep one. I know he's listening, Jay. How are you, mate? Did he walk in ten foot tall? He does. He did. <laughs> he's a great yeah. kid. Oh, mate, and the work ethic on him, great mindset, kid. not a problem with him. We're working skill and then the self, but to to, to do it across cultures, like to do it to someone who's been in the country for seven years yeah. and, and from an Asian culture, which isn't something I thought understand is a whole nother level again and so. it's a good learning curve for you too oh, now. massive yeah it's oh, huge. Huge, huge awesome so it's you know and it, it's not lost on me put it yeah yeah uh, so i'm very careful we've done a few training sessions already and i've been very deliberate that's good in, in i think he's going to be a monster mate i think that kid's going to be i think that the only thing that you have to do with that kind of guy is to really teach him connection because connection is a universal that's language it. whether your mother tongue is english spanish italian or vietnamese connection is a universal language yep. once you connect with guy it doesn't matter you know only two words i'm trying to, connect. i'm trying to i worry because i'm trying to teach him to connect how i connect and he's never going to be an aussie bogan no. so <laughs> it's, it's and i sit there and go how how can i articulate this in a way that because very direct, one thing I've picked up, very direct. Yep. You know, are you selling, can I come to your house? That's, that's <laughs> mate, technically perfect because that's what we want to find out. But sometimes between point A and point B, there's a back road that we have to take. It's a bit of foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my way of obviously describing the foreplay is, yeah. is, is as ochre as it can be. So, yeah, nice. And that's nice a skill here. thing for me too. That, and that's a skill. How can I convey the connection and the, the ability to relate and build rapport with people in a way that matches Vietnamese culture? Because yeah. I don't know. And you know what? Uh, coming from having different cultures within the office, I had a Vietnamese young guy said to me one day in training, he said, how do I ask for a glass of water? That was his question to me. He goes, how do I ask for a glass of water? And I really taken aback. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, if I'm at a listing appointment, he goes, how do I, if I'm thirsty, how do I ask for a glass of water? And I said, may I please have a glass of water? He goes, no, 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 it's not that. I said, no, you, there's something there culturally that I'm, I'm missing that I don't understand. And then we just went through it. And he was worried about not being able to come across as being rude just simply by asking for a glass of water. And I found that amazing. And I immediately go, what, what am I missing here? And we went into it and after a short discussion, obviously he's got over that. So we actually then started to train on conversation, just simple conversation. How he could, with that connection point of thing, how he can be more interested in what he wants to find out from the person than what he wants to tell the person. And we did that and and he did very, very well, did very well. Charlotte was asking me, because there was a question, I think, on Facebook or Instagram about the books that I uh, would advise people to read in the beginning of their career. I said to her, one of the two books I was asked to read was How to Win Friends and Influence People from Dale Carnegie. I think that all of our new recruits should be doing this because we're in a business, actually, of life, of living. And in this business of living, communication is a huge skill that we have to have. 
And I think it's not really a matter of nationality. It's not just the Vietnamese. There's, you'll find that there's a lot of people of course, who yeah. are li- like that. And it's a lack of empathy. Right. It's a lack of feelings, you know. And, and I think that how to win friends and influence people will be telling them, well, you need to be interested in people. You need to really get your radar out about feeling what people are thinking or feeling. Then you can connect. It's a skill. It's something that, you know, people have to take the time and read and study. Why would you be that stupid to hire Vietnamese because of his nationality, he can't ask people right questions. That would be stupid. Yes, okay, it seems to be that, yeah, a lot of these guys have been hardened by generation of, of people who had to fight to survive. Therefore, they have disconnected a lot of their feelings for the sake of a more mental kind of survival. Yeah. Thinking Empathy probably is what we need to train. Yeah. So uh, my Jay. fuck up is, I'm, I've noticed a lack of empathy, but I'm putting it down to a cultural thing rather than a, a dude that needs to work on his empathy. Yeah, yep. get him get him to read the book first thing. Do him a favor. I gave him a book yesterday. Influenced by um, Robert Chaldini. Robert, yeah. Mm. Way, so way too much for him. He's a, he's a learner. I gave him your book. He's got a copy of AC and then he said... Yeah, but Influenced by Robert Cialdini is a bloody good book, but it's still, to me, very left side of the brain. Analytical brain, yeah. 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 So what he needs to do is to more trigger Feel into it. the right side. Right. He does not have to understand 2 plus 2. He just has to... Feel it when you're going to ask him an addition. So, so he's got a lack of EQ. He needs to work on his EQ. Yeah. Okay. So we're working on his EQ then. And you, so you I gave him a scientific book. Well done. Oh <laughs> this is going to break down the science yeah, for you. No, <laughs> I, I think no. that's nothing wrong. I think that what, what, what you're doing is out of your generosity, you, you're trying to really help him improve. But trying to help someone improve, as you know, it's not enough. If I don't know, when I go into a Formula One car, if I don't know how to... What bits are broken? Uh, if I'm not taking fast turn, are you going to put it to the fact that I don't know how to brake, that I'm not p- pressing hard enough, or that I'm not braking early enough or too late? Or could it be that I'm scared? of speed uh, of g-force so you're really gonna have to do some more thinking and i think that as a leader leadership start with self-leadership you can't lead others until you lead yourself yeah so you have to learn to know how to change some of the triggers you have to know how you using your triggers first before you can really train it into others yeah you know i can't train someone to feel better if i don't remember what it felt like not to feel good. So whenever someone's doing some gesture, I immediately play in my head, all right, what if I did that gesture? How do I feel? And I'm, that's when I went, no, don't use your arm that way because it's sending this message. Because in my own head, I'm already thinking, if I did that, this is what I'd feel. All the external behavior of a person, they mostly universal. When a guy fidget on his feet, he is not sure of himself. Whether it's a Cam or a Chris or it's myself or anybody else out there, right? So if I can play it in my own head very quickly and as I see it, then I now can recognize what he's doing. Yeah. How good is his wine? <laughs> Sorry. Not to take away from your point. No. It's a bloody good point. <laughs> I was just thinking. I love the wine. But, but hey, listen, guys. If, if you go too. to $100, yeah, that's a, a Roquefort for you. Yeah, that's the well. real Roquefort. Oh. Anybody, anything else is a copycat. That one's also French. That's very pungent. The blue, that's... Oh. Yeah, but you can have different blues. You have Stilton, you have a lot of stuff. That's the oil that yeah, crumbles. It has a little bit of sting to it, right? Mm. Yeah, that, that's what the Roquefort is. So the taste is like a blue, but then the sting is real Roquefort. It's not just Next wine, time, yeah. get a bit of Roquefort, and then as you have your steak, get the sauce going. Do you know how you get normally your sauce and put a bit of cream? Forget the cream, put a bit of Roquefort in it. Boy. How do you say it? Roquefort. Roquefort. So yeah, you don't say Rochefort, it's Roquefort. Roquefort. 
start with a hatred. I still remember I went, I went to the um, a two-star Michelin restaurant they have in Roquefort, and all that they did, every dish had Roquefort cheese in it. Wow. Every dish. Yeah, good. From entree to dessert. How crazy is this? I'm going to ask you again. Where do you get this? Where did you get this? From uh, Hogfo. No. <laughs> Hogfo, yeah, but I want to know, does it start with a You get that from the little deli up near... In uh, the Blue Mountains, yeah. Oh, uh, that's... The, oh, okay, right here. Hogfo. So oh, but I think that you can get into in quite a few places. Okay. So if not you go carry on, and, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't get it in carry on. Craft singles and cookies. If, if food works is listening, can we stock up on the hog floor? Yeah. <laughs> let's go back to our staff here. So if we're spending so much time here in our salespeople, what about our clients and our buyers out there? I mean, what are the mistakes that they're really making because they don't know which agent is really involved into training that into them so that they, do, they deliver the right thing to clients and which agent is really a mercenary trying to get a sale like a vulture, not interested in personal Helping. growth so that they can actually deliver a better side of themselves to their clients and mm. customers. Oh, God. We had to come up with five, yeah? Yeah. There's a fair chance we've probably all got very similar five. And that's why I wrote more. <laughs> <laughs> On the seller side, they're all based around, for me, the mistakes, a lack of information, a lack of yeah. uh, personal research before they yeah. go into selling a house. I've got, I mean, I had number one speaking to only one agent prior to putting their house on the market, but then probably number two needs to be in front of number one, which is not doing their own market research before they speak to an agent. Yeah, but let's go back to your number one so that we, 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 we get it right first. Let's go back to number one so we get it right first. Well, number one is only speaking to one agent. Now, don't so get why me, is that a mistake? Well, don't get me wrong. I love it when I'm the only agent called out to a property and I get the listing. Absolutely. But would I do that when I was sell, if I was selling my house? Definitely not. Not a chance. Why? Because... There uh, is a big difference between mediocre, good and great when it comes to an agent. There's a big difference in the reasons that agents are doing their job. There's a big reason. There's a big difference in agent that can do the best spin if he's a good spinner at that time. That one yeah. agent, one interview, he can tell the biggest lies in that one interview. I Simple. agree. And they don't give himself a chance to get a gut feel. Yeah. They back that up with. We cover this off. I think one and two are going to cover each off together. They, they back that up by a lack of knowledge about their own market. If you're going to sell a house, you can't just invite someone around and believe everything they tell you. You need to have a rough idea. You no, know you don't have to follow the market, but okay, I'm thinking of selling. Maybe I'll have a look around at what houses are selling for. Maybe I'll have a look around about who's getting the best results. Maybe I'll have a look around. I got I got the best surprise of my life two days ago. I went to a listing appointment and the vendor gave me the comparables. Yeah. After after she tested me, she said, what are you thinking price-wise? I said, well, here's X, Y, and Z. Here's how I came up with this figure. Here's the evidence that backs it up. Here's the comparable sales. And she said, oh, thank God. I said, what? She goes, oh, I had a guy out here yesterday and I kicked him out of my house because he told me 900000 I know for a fact that he's at least overpriced it by hundred grand. Wow, that's and good. I had another listing appointment yesterday for a property that I'd had previously listed in, in Barrow. We listed them just before the storm came through and unfortunately their house got destroyed in the storm. But when we went out prior to the storm, we were the only agent they spoke to and we listed them. And they came back to us over the weekend and said, look, I really don't want you to, to get upset. But when my mum was selling her house, I told her, make sure you speak to at least three agents and get some different opinions. And I've been kicking myself that I never did that and I've just got to be true to my word. So is it okay if we go and talk to other people? You can't say no to that. I'm not going to sit there and go, no, don't talk to any other agent. So 
what happens is in, in one of my core areas where one of our offices is, is there's two offices. One office sells houses for $46,000 less per sale than the other office. Now, our median sale price in that suburb is 660000 So $46,000 is a huge amount. We're not talking in a $2 million suburb here. Yeah. People ring them up and just go list with them. Oh, they've been in the area for 15 years and they did me a cheap commission, so I'll list them. They're losing $50,000 a sale just yep. through lack of research. And that's an area where you don't go up against each other because they'll either call them or they'll call us. They don't call two agents out. So the lack, the biggest mistake, the start for a seller is complete lack of any sort of research or yeah. arming themselves with any knowledge so they know if they're being bullshitted to. Yeah. And, you know, Cam, I'm, I'm almost on point. My number one for mistake for sellers was not looking into the agent they're choosing. And then I've got little bullet points under that. Past testimonials, actually calling the past their past clients, actually asking that agent, well, can I have three or four phone numbers of your past of your recent sales in the last six months? And if you don't get them, go and door knock them. How was your experience as a buyer with that agent? Because, you know, it's just as important to understand how the buyers are feeling and dealing with that agent as the sellers are. So I think that number one for me was right on point with that, okay. is not interviewing more than one agent. And it's due to lack of knowledge or lack of, they just... Or being spun to, or, be, or, or believing the bullshit that they're listening to at that time. And I think that's the biggest mistake that they can do. Uh, get a couple of agents in um, and, and really put them through the ringer. Maybe the biggest mistake, and I didn't write this down, but maybe the biggest mistake is people thinking that they actually need an agent to sell their house. Anyone can sell a house themselves. Okay, yeah, right? I see where you're going with this. Yeah, I so was, yep. they don't put any research in and they just believe whatever the first person's told them. They obviously think that they need an agent to sell their house. Well, if you weren't going to put any research into it, bother getting an extra opinion, making sure that all the, the drama you went through to save for a deposit was worth it, yep. just stick a sign out the front yourself yep. because you'll save if you... That's the way you're going to go about it. But that goes all back into the lines. If they do choose one or two, three agents out and we're in there, we can you know, argue why we're worth that extra in the fees and so forth. And that goes all into that. If you weren't worried about what you're going to get in the resale price, put the sign out your front, at the front yourself and sell it yourself, yeah. like you said. So Yeah. Absolutely. Know. So not, not interviewing more than one agent is probably the first, probably biggest mistake, yeah? And and believe and really listening to that and taking it. I I probably going to play the devil's, devil's advocate, advocate and probably disagree with you boys. I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that you have to necessarily talk to more than one agent. Okay, I think that if you did your research, research, okay, you prior, would probably prior. know already. Yep. So before I would even call an agent in, because the, the, the problem is this: if I sat down with you and I connected with you more because our personality really clicks. Yeah. I will disregard whatever Cam says. and Or if Cam has got a communication ability that is out of this world and he knows how to read me, then I will click with him more than you. So the problem with a lot of interviewing is we tend to pick the person we like. Mm. So what's very important for me is to do the research without even talking. And once I've done my research, I really would just sit down and talk to you and grill you and find out what is it that you will do to get that highest price. Mm. If not... If something in me says, no, it's still, then I will bother myself because that research should give you that information. It's a little bit like if you were going to go out and buy a, a fast car, would you have a look at every car? Or would you really... Just Google which one goes the fastest. Yes, you've done your research so you know which ones are faster and then you go there to find your car. So it's the same thing. Definitely, I would be knocking on for sale signs 
I would probably knock on soul by signs. Because if my daughter was to have an operation, I, I wouldn't want to just sit down and listen to the surgeon that really tells me what I want to hear. I want to be able to, I mean, not that you can really interview the dead, but you, you can at least interview the <laughs> surviving patients mm. and ask them how, how has it been? How has the surgeon delivered what you were told? Yeah. And probably the dead can tell you by the numbers. I mean, if he's done six and five died, well, maybe it's one that I should not get close to, even if the guy's a very good uh, communicator. But if you're going to do your research, you'll be able to save yourself a lot of time Mm. and then go for that one. The research is, that's why I said we could swap number two and number one for me. Because, I mean, take my area, for example, where we do average such a, a high sale price, Knocking on the doors isn't necessarily going to work there because the people that the other mob have sold and they've lost 50 grand don't realise that they've, they've lost, lost 50 yeah. grand. They don't know that. Right oh, these guys were great. You know, they, they dropped their fees for me and they did cheaper marketing than the other guys and we sold in a week. Yeah, you fucking gave your house away. I'm sorry, yeah. but you did. So I would have bought your house, paid the stamp duty, resold it and still made 25 grand. And then I only had I only had one more for sort of pre going on the market as far as a mistake, and we we don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out what I'm about to say, but um, price and fee, choosing people based on what they charge, yeah. I, I think is uh, aside from not doing your own research, got to be the biggest fucker. If you've done your research, and the best agent based on your research happens to have the cheapest commission, you've hit the power to well you. done, good on you. But to do no research and base it on, yeah. I'm going to fly Tiger, I'm going to fly Qantas, that's yeah. how you end up in a situation where between two officers, one's putting 50 grand more in people's pockets than the other. I don't, I don't know. You know what? I've got an additional one in there that is with, with the sellers not challenging their agent during a listing appointment. And when I say challenging them, giving them tricky questions or, or, or putting them in an uncomfortable position to see how they dance, to see how they, they handle... How they handle that pressure because under pressure it really starts to show their agent's true colours and if they can dance well with their owner during that interview you're going to do a fantastic job during the time. It's born out of a lack of knowledge and a lack of research if they don't know the questions to ask and they just sit there nodding their head and going yeah well well, that makes sense. So yeah, my house is worth a million dollars. You're right. I thought that all along. Yeah, perfect. Um, But I mean the fee thing. I love one of the lines we've we've picked out of here recently that I've used a lot since then is you've just let someone who beat you in a negotiation hire them to sell your house. I mean, what are people... There's a disconnect there in logic. They, they, they sit there on their couch and they're all proud. I got him to drop his fee by half a percent. How good am I? Yeah, you just hired him to sell your house. <laughs> How good are you? Yeah. yeah. The problem is a human nature uh, problem. A lot of sellers think that we have to negotiate on everything. I personally negotiate on anything that I buy but services. Because when you're buying services, how can you negotiate? You want that service, you need something done, and then you're going to ask them to take a pay cut to do it. And hence, I would never negotiate on service. If anything, I always say to them, I pay you this, but I just want a good job. If it's not a good job, you and I will talk. And so I have no problem. Where if you were to buy, let's say, a Sony television, yeah, you can negotiate because Sony television from a seller is different to another place where they sell the same television. Yeah, You'd be stupid not to negotiate. But to go and pick an agent, and I say this to people all the time, most people have sacrificed so much for four, five, six years mm. before they put together enough of a deposit to buy a home, right? Mm-hmm. 
that's five, six years where they're not going to the best restaurant, where they are going to go camping instead of that around the world, first class traveling. But then when they sell that house that they work so hard for, they would just sacrifice all those five years mm-hmm. because... Because they like the bloke or... A 0.5% mm-hmm. or $3,000 yeah. or $5,000 means that they're winning. They're coming up ahead. How do you know after those three agents, what you're going to end up with? For all I know, the first guy could, the second guy could, the third guy would. How do you know? Is the fee that they charge the factor that tells you that you're going to end up with more money in your pocket because you picked that person? I've seen owners proud of their sale price, not proud of a cheap agent. That's nice. Good hey. line. I like that line. Oh. And that's one That's one I've teached the guys. I mean, you know, say to owners, I've met owners proud of a sale price, not proud of a cheap agent. Yeah. I think it comes down as simple as that. I know you fight very well for your fee, Cam. So. I just I just figure, mate, if I'm going to work for free for you and do everything that I told you I was going to do yep. and then put a figure on a contract in front of you that you're happy to sign, why should I take a pay cut for the privilege? Yeah, good man. Most people are awake to that. Right. I mean, then if I'm a 3% agent working in one area where I came up against 1.6% the other day. Yeah, well. The other agent knows I'm 3%. Why not go in at 25 or 2.7 or 2.8? Get yourself some more money, mate. Yeah. But if you can't ask for it yourself, how the hell are you going to ask for it for your owners? And that's, I, I, you know, my little speech in training before about believing what you were saying, yep. I believe that wholly and solely. I believe 100% that I'm the best person to get you the best price and I, we've got an unblemished record of doing it. So when I look you in the eye and tell you that, 9 out of 10 people believe me enough to use me to sell their house. Yeah. The problem comes when they don't call us in and just go with the other bloke because they haven't done their research or they've heard about... That's going to happen, mate. It's going to. But happen. if you're... like, So you work in an area where people do cheap fees? Yeah. All right. Below 1% sometimes. Yeah, but they have the most expensive sound system in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in an area where I'm the... Exactly what I said. If you were an agent yeah. and you knew that your competitor was a full percent dearer than you and he was still winning listings and you're like, oh, I'll undercut him. Why wouldn't you try and undercut by 0.1 of a percent or 0.2 of a percent? Why, make, or even why half a percent. Why would why, you go 1.4, 1.5% why, why less? Yeah. And I, yeah. No, but that's probably because their skills level and their, self, their, their belief in themselves is so low that yeah. in order to com- be competitive against you, they have to go 1.6. Yep. They almost have to half it. And then the people sitting on the couch in their land rooms who have blood, sweat and tears for six years to even get the deposit. And I yeah. don't care if it's your first house or your fifth house. At some point, you had to go through the ringer to save a deposit to buy a house. And yes, it gets easier after your second or your third one. But you've still got to respect that five or six or ten years that you put into buying a house. And to do it and just go... And you're right, Chris, that line, I've never seen anyone brag about I got the cheapest agent in the whole of Australia to sell my house it doesn't make any logical sense and I think but then it comes back on the agent because I think if you're in a situation where you're going up against another agent or another two agents and you haven't been able to convey that message well enough then that's on you not on them yeah Uh, yeah I'm a firm you know big believer in no excuses and I'll never walk out of a listing and say I missed it because of fee Obviously, I've overcome low fees in the past, so if on this occasion I haven't overcome the low fee, then that's my fuck-up, not not theirs. At the end of the day, as you said, it, there's, there's those lounge rooms or those dining rooms that you don't get into to speak to those people. We, we can't help everyone. We can only those that help those that we but that's get, get just put what, in That's why of. the lack of research is the biggest mistake Absolutely. a seller can make yep. because you've only Perfect. got a... 
you don't even have to do a lot of in our case in Carong, you don't have to do a lot of research. Yeah. You've only got to type in one web address and have a look in one column, and it throws itself at you like. But again, again, uh, then again, we're thinking going back to what we we're saying previously about critical thinking. People aren't putting that time and effort into doing that research to help themselves to but find talking out. Talking about research, boys, it's been shown that most people who are above the age of sixty-nine are more likely to believe in fake news by sevenfold versus the people who are between eighteen and twenty-five. Wow. I'm not saying that most of our home sellers are above 69, but it, it is also something in human nature that drives us to buy from the person we connect. So if I connect with you more than I connect with Cam, it looks like psychologically it is easier for me to believe everything you say. And on top of that, the good spin that a lot of these agents do is that they tell you one thing that you know for sure it's true. That's called 10%. Then they attach nine things that's full of shit. But you still believe it because you're so dead certain about that 10%. And you like the guy. Therefore, liking the guy does now embellish all the other nine points that he's delivered. And so the fake news are just crazy. People, even if they were to do research, do you really believe that they are going to find the real information? Not always. Yeah. No, not always. So how how do they find the real information? Let's go back to uh, one, I think, that you said knocking on the doors of existing yeah. clients and, and past clients, that's probably the best way, isn't it? I put it? a list. So I put a list in my pre-listing pack. There's a list of my last 20, 30 sales, everyone's name and phone number, free to call them at any time. Don't know if anyone's ever been called, but my body's on the line, so to speak. If Perfect. They, and, and it's yeah, not every transaction I've ever had has gone swimmingly, um, but the, the ones where it hasn't gone 100% according to plan, they're still on there. Yep. Talk to them because I... Find out, even off the people who didn't quite get the result they wanted, whether I was 100% honest and 100% upfront and 100% transparent the entire time. Because sometimes shit just doesn't go your way. Sometimes you're going to put your house on the market and a week later there's going to be the worst hailstorm in rugby league history. And sometimes you're going to sell your house two days before the election where if you had it sold it two days after the election, you may have got $50,000 more. Sometimes shit happens. But ring up, find out about my values, my ethics and, and, and whether you think you got the best possible result. Best possible result is very condition-based. It's timing-based. Best possible result isn't always price. Best possible result might be a time frame where you need to be out of your house in a week. So I always talk about the best possible result and people just equate that to money all the time and a lot of the time it is money-based. But in a down market or in a coronavirus where no one was able to sell houses, were you still able to get our house sold, yes or no? Best possible result, not just any result. That list of the uh, last 30 sales, I mean, that is crazy. I mean, to be able to do that, you're really transparent and putting yourself on the line. The only people I don't do is if they're... I've sold a lot of house for a lot of policemen. I don't know whether the universe is bringing them into my life or not, but I don't... Obviously, there's certain details that don't get given out. But sure, that's fair. Yeah. And I've got to explain that too because it, it still has the address and it still have sales and stuff and I don't want people to get the wrong impression when they don't see a phone number. So I explain the fact that these guys work for whoever they work for. And That's very cool. Um, you can't be much more transparent than that, Cam. And that, that's that's well, an absolute... Yeah, but how many agents would do it? But, but that, that then is your unique selling point. And to sit in front of sellers and say, listen... I'm 100% transparency to the fact that here's all my last sellers for the last six months. Let's I don't say. want it to be a unique selling point. You know what I want? I want the government to regulate it that you have to. That, but that's I would back that up. I would put myself against, and uh, I don't know, you have a list of five questions you can ask them. 
Were they honest at all times? Did they deliver on what they say they were going to do? Did you get the price that you were quoted? Um, I've just put a deal together before we came in here where the other agent in that same area I'm talking about told the lady 850000 you won't get it in this market, but I reckon eight fifty. we We've just sold it for $890,000. I'm sure that lady would appreciate the forty thousand dollars extra. Oh, mate, it's life changing. It's not small. It's not small coin. The three thousand dollars extra you might have had to pay me to get it. That's small coin. Yeah. The thirty-seven extra thousand dollars that you now get to move on. She's been through. In the four days problem. There's been in the four days it took you to get that deal together, and even well, we've been negotiating that. that deal for three weeks. There you go. So yeah. three thousand extra. They they they're still charging two point seven or something, is it? No, they, well it depends. They they walk in and they say, "Oh, we're normally two point nine, but for you I'll do it for two point five. But that's negotiable. That's their line. Right, right, right. They walk in and say, "Oh, my fees this, but I it's still believe they're too dear, two point five. They're way too dear, mate. I mean, it would be like seriously trying to sell me a Hyundai at the price of a Porsche. They're way too dear. And then the other thing is, they do a different fee for everybody. So when I hear that they've charged someone 2.5, I go, geez, you must have pissed them off. What do you mean? Oh, because they did them for 2.2 and they did them for 1.8. They did them for 2.8, so they must really hate them, but you've done something to annoy them. <laughs> They're f- <laughs> fucking morons, mate. We're in a in a suburb of 2,500 homes. You know, yeah. News gets out. Apparently not enough news, but um, just ask an extra question or two. So... I think to your original question, people are going to get fed fake news. So obviously you have to type in more than one website and you have to talk to more than one person. I mean, anyone who's making their decision based off a website like Rate My Agent where agents are paying for their reviews and getting judged on, you only win the agent of the year on Rate My Agent if you've paid for the most reviews. That's right. That is going to spin a lot of shit in a lot of people's favours. I mean, I'm sure it won't be long before realestate.com start trying to charge us for it, but all the reviews... How many you've sold, more importantly for us, what your average sale price is, it's all there when you, you look to find an agent on realestate.com. It's very hard to fake those figures. Yep. I, th- I think that t- to make sure the transparency is right so that you know bullshit artists can hide behind not doing it, maybe the Department of Fair Trading should have on their website every single sale that happened in every area versus the price that the agent estimates was and their fees. That will that will kill a lot of people who have to listen to an agent. And if the agent happens to be a very good bullshit artist, well, you know, they're going to believe the wrong thing. Yeah, I just, I mean, you'll never get away with that with privacy issues. But I challenge anyone, if there's any agents listening, put the list of your last, and all your sales, not just the ones that you got a good result on. That's right. Or you've got along with your customers sales? on. Yeah. Listen, mate. Do it. The last thing that the government is worried about is your privacy <laughs> issue, right? <laughs> They, uh, they couldn't give a shit uh, if they can just get you. That's a fair point. Uh, all right, so the government can do a lot of stuff. The only privacy that is really existing is among mates in the government. Yeah. Okay? If, if you're Daniel Andrews and you fuck up with your brain stacking all this shit, we're going to now spread the COVID bullshit so that we stop the journalists from traveling and we'll put the cops <laughs> around the hotels and keep them in. Fuck it's yeah, not man. to keep the rabbits out, it's to keep the journalists in so they don't find out that there's way more behind this. How right? do you so find out stop the privacy how do you bullshit, find out though, that what they were quoted? I suppose you just got to ring and ask the vendor what price did they tell you? No, you beca- no, no. Agency was, agreement. It's got to be on the agency agreement. Uh, Submit the agency agreement to the Department of Fair Trading. <laughs> <laughs> How many people are going to do that? Yeah. yeah. No, but at least it, it will 
Clear it up. I no, know. Okay. I know we're doing it. But wait, listen. Right now, the Department of Fair Trading, that is an organization that's supposed to be like no. keeping real estate clean, they're not doing their job no, for no. two reasons. One, they don't have enough manpower, and two, they're really dicking around with little pieces of shit. They're asking the wrong questions, mate. Just, you just spelt get, something wrong on an agency agreement. Here's a fine. Like that that's that not is the so problem. wrong, mate. Walking into a show have. and saying that you know, oh, have a look at your the expiry date on the uh, certificate. Uh, are you serious? You see your CPD. Are you yeah, yeah. serious? Your CPD, mate, your CPD, that is the mo- the biggest insult. So I'm sorry, Department of Fair Trading. I am in Bolcom Hills. Come and see me. And then we can talk. You can check on my on, on my stuff. <laughs> it, but really, they would do this, right? I guarantee like, uh, they use a 1% agent. <laughs> uh, auditing all those people. And they, they, they would, eh? Just hold it over you. How about you don't do commission? Oh, we won't go there. Might have to delete that. I won't throw out that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter. We keep that shit. So, so we have to be very, very daring in what we're doing, boys. This is what we're doing here is not about uh, how to occupy four or five hours of a day to do a bit of podcast. No, no, no. We are here because we want to change certain yep. things. We are here because we want to change certain things in our profession. And not only it's about our profession, but it's also about telling people, stop believing the crap you see or hear. Start using your intelligence, yes? And so that's where our spin busters come in. And so, yes, sales are in there, but spin busted whenever we need to call it. Well, let's call it. Does anyone else have any for pre-transaction mistakes? Obviously, if you pick the wrong agent for the wrong reasons, you're fucked up and there's nothing's going to save you anyway. But my next one went into... I think that pre... For me, is picking an agent that is in your area. I don't pick a surgeon to operate on my child because he happens to live in my suburb. Right. I just pick one that is good. Now, if I have to travel 3,000 kilometers to find him, that's where I'll go to find a doctor. The same thing when it comes to finding out the right agent for you. Don't just stick to the one that is in your neighborhood. Yeah. So um, something that's get used against me in Barrera is that I live on the central coast, and even though it takes 19 minutes to drive from my house to Barrera, that's what other agents are thinking is a great USP. And I love nothing more than sitting there and just explaining. So, and the reason I love what we do is because the skill to sell a house doesn't know postcodes, and the passion to get the best possible result doesn't know a postcode. <laughs> I haven't driven 10 minutes down the road and all of, forgot, all of a sudden forgotten all my training and the desire to kick the other agents' butts and... and be as competitive as possible. I think, yeah, I've sold houses in Terrigal all the way down to Mount Cola is the south, most south we've gone at the moment. That's covering about 120 kilometres. I'd be saying, why is it that the other agent is so interested in where I live? <laughs> when I'm interested in achieving the best result that's for a, you. People think that, though. So people <laughs> think, people think oh, I've got to go with a local agent. They know the area. Look, I can look up the fucking bus times. I'll find <laughs> out when the most popular train is. <laughs> That isn't going to help me when I'm trying to get you as much money as humanly yep. possible. Again, a fucking house sells itself. Picking someone because they live down the street and know where the best place to go for a coffee is, is not what you decide a house on. If, if we can do it in one area, we can do it in another. If, if they had a Ferrari, trust me, they may not want to go to the local mechanic. 100%. They probably will take it to a Ferrari mechanic. Mm. Right? But when it comes to the five or six years of sacrifice to get their home, right, most people will just give it gladly because the guy happens to be in the neighbourhood. We'll drive an hour and a half to get a good bottle of wine. That's we true. do. <laughs> we drive an hour and a half to get a good bottle of wine. And we somehow think that this imaginary line in the scene, look, Barrera and Barrera Heights, are the, the, 
they're separated by a service station. Somehow, if you cross past that service station, you've forgotten everything you know about about everything, and that's what unskilled agents uses uses a reason. But it works because we have unskilled people owners. not doing their research. They listen yeah. to the spin, fake yeah. news. Simple. They've well, got again, enough spin on it. It's, it's to on it. us to overcome Absolutely. that when we're there. So Absolutely. if I walk out and I've really lost a listing and I don't believe it, if someone says to me, oh, I went with them because they're local, I don't believe it. There was obviously more to it than that. Of course. But, but again, that's my fuck up, not theirs. If they actually think that's the reason they should choose an agent, then oh, you can't help some people. Yeah, it's a good one out of area. It's been funny though. I used to, so I used to um, work carry on from the Gosford office and used to go, oh, you know, mate, local doesn't mean anything. All the buyers come to Gosford when they're looking to buy on the Central Coast, so they come to us first. And that was my listing pitch in carry on. And now yeah. I go, you don't want anyone out of the area. I mean, I know the area. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to suit your pitch. That's to a suit spin, yourself. mate. Absolutely. That's the spin, spin you put on it. Absolutely. You bastard. You do spin on people, do you? I've listed two recently outside of the area. My simple thing, they go, oh, shouldn't we choose an agent inside the area? I've gone realestate.com and domain.com and have eliminated borders. Why do you need a re- You need the agent that's going to get you the best price, not just the closest agent. My thing is I live in the area, so the more I sell your house for, the more my house is worth. That's a good Call one. it selfish. Yeah, but, but people don't know that a guy like you don't have friends in your area. <laughs> <laughs> so whether you're in the area or not doesn't matter. <laughs> All these friends are in this room, All mate. <laughs> All his friends are closer to Barara than carry on. I've sold houses in 26 suburbs and I haven't had a friend in one. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's a word that he doesn't know. The first time we said the word friend, he looked at us weird. Oh, you mean mate. Mate. I'm teaching you slowly, the Aussie vernacular. All right, so what's another mistake that sellers do make? Oh, I'm, I'm in the into the transaction now. Not though. before you got com- any more com- before, Yeah, before coming on the transaction, without an agent, Without an agent involved, I think they waiting to come onto the market, waiting for the right time. Um, I think some people are ready to sell, but they're going, oh, the market's just not good enough. Or I'm seeing and listening to the the media and so forth, and not again doing a little bit more research into and understanding we're buying and selling. In we the can same tick, market. we can tick that off for buyers and sellers. That was one of mine for buyers, yeah. and yeah. I'd never even thought of it from a seller point yeah. of view. But trying to pick the market, are you kidding me? That's right, especially and exactly what I last, say to people, especially in the last three years. I was showing someone the growth figures in Barrera Heights yesterday and the, the line that normally is a, a steady, gradual right. line goes like this. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. Absolutely. Storm, bushfire, coronavirus. Absolutely. <laughs> trying to pick the market. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, and I said to him, I said, so. Uh, and buyers use doing, that on you. Oh, market's going to crash. You're an idiot. So I say both both sides. So when should you have bought when or had, when what, should you have sold? When you had the money. And then pick a date. I said, okay, so when are you going to know when to buy or when to sell? Okay, so how do we know we're at the bottom or how do we know we're at the top? Because you're going to see it either falling or increasing. So when's the time to sell? Now. So that's probably the biggest one is for, for me is um, buyers and selling both, waiting to buy or waiting to sell. Um, and that's without an agent's input, um, maybe not looking into it or just trusting, you know, life is too short just to make If that. they're ready, like if they're ready, if their circumstances Absolutely. don't say Absolutely. it's a, a great time to sell, but we're talking about trying to pick the market. Oh, I reckon it's going to go up another 5% in the next six months. We're not selling till Christmas. Oh, shit. So, yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I love well, the, that. The big thing is that people don't not understanding, you know, they make predictions and I go, do you make a living out of making predictions? Because Warren Buffett has made a living out of making prediction on share and stocks, right? And as you know, Warren Buffett, if it wasn't for giving most of his income to the uh, the Gates Foundation, he'd probably be one of the richest at the top. 
his company during COVID time has made a huge loss, like probably the biggest, bigger loss than he's ever made. Mm. And so if a guy like Warren Buffett can make losses out of prediction, who are we to make predictions? Yeah. What do we need to focus on is why are we selling? Mm. Are we selling to upgrade to another place? Because if we're selling today, we're also buying today. If the market has affected you by 10%, it is probably affecting the other house by 10% too. Right? The market does not discriminate. It doesn't go looking for your home and say, your home, we will do 10% on this, but not the other home. So you're going to have to really sit down and forget all of this. Now, if you have got 60 houses or more, yes, you can now think of yourself as Warren Buffett and then it's you're not selling houses you live in yes you can think of when to sell and when to when when to buy but most people they buying and they're selling in the same damn market that's it that's it i don't know if it goes into the biggest mistake but something i just thought of that's probably relevant too is the amount of sellers attaching memories and emotions to the sale price when they're putting a house on the market and then having a wondering why it hasn't sold because you've overpriced it by a couple of hundred thousand dollars not realizing that as a buyer you don't care about if they raise their kids there or... or um, That's right. And TL's got a line about it as in the book. They subtract what? They take out your emotions and memories and then take off 5% or, or something. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. It's been... The equation, yeah. Yeah. But um, obviously another problem. Yeah, you've put your blood, sweat and tears into the Cost house. Cost plus and, memories and equals value. And then buys is true value minus improvements minus cost. Yeah, something, something, something along, those along those lines. I know what you're talking so, about. So you're probably not, there, Cam, probably not the biggest mistake ever, but it is a problem when you when you come to it. And then that, that feeds into the next one I had, which is now we're on the market. You've you've chosen the right agent. Hopefully you've you've set a plan with that agent. You've, you're trusting everyone involved and then you just decide to completely ignore market feedback when 30 people come through your house. And so number you six on mine, not listening to the agent that you have chosen. Well, it, it, so you've chosen a doctor to do the operation, but you're telling yeah, them how to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was number five, not trusting agents' advice. So you, you're going to pay someone on a million-dollar property if you pay the right commission, $30,000 30 yeah. to sell your house. Yep. But you're going to take the advice of your even your solicitor who's never sold a house before and has no idea what's going on. Or your mate at the pub who drinks 10 scooters. Your friends and family who have, <laughs> might have a, a bias against yep. real estate agents because we're making more money than them. You never know we've what's going in. into their advice. But we've all come across We that, believe yeah. in those fake news, and it? It, especially when they come from friends. Yeah. Here yep. we are. I've gone through all my research and I've, I've done all this and I've fought hard to get this agent because he's going to be the best guy and then this agent's going to say... How many houses do you own? Uh, nothing. I'm still renting. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But listen to my advice. Listen, Karen, sorry, but um, look, I know this is where we thought the market was at, but we've now had 50 people come through your house and none of them are saying that. We might need to listen to some of the feedback. Oh, no, my nephew Bobby, he said you were going to do this and try yeah. and smash my price down. And I've had it recently where I've actually had to hand back a listing because a, a vendor has knocked back some very, very good offers yeah. on a property. And they were at the price I said she'd be likely to get. Yeah. But um, members of a family are told her not to. She's not going to be able to sell the house. A line, line I used recently, exact, almost exact same situation. I said to him, um, "There's a book called Richest Man in Babylon. I think yep. there's a story yeah, in there. It says um, you don't take advice to buy diamonds from the brickmaker, mm. or you don't advise take advice how to build a house from the copper merchant." Why would you take advice from the from your carpenter on how to sell your home after you've employed the carpenter? After, no, after you've employed your agent. No, it, but that's what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, why? 
exactly it, right. Take Listen to advice. the writer, people. If, if they're giving you advice and you haven't hired an agent yet, I mean, it's still silly because they're not in real estate, but family mean well and the right intentions, but you've just hired this person. That's right. You've put all your trust in, and you're sacrificing or you're putting all those years of trying to save the deposit on the line for you to hire this person. That's right. And now you're listening to your auntie's sister's dog's cat <laughs> about what to do because they watch the news. And well, the news it, told me yeah, that's I, massive, massive problem. Yeah. So one other thing, though, that people need to really pay attention, and that's coming from uh, many years of real estate selling. Sometimes it's the children that advise you you have to be careful. Mm. Family. Yeah. Because yeah. they may not want you to sell. Mm. Ulterior mm. motives. They, they, they mm. may have a very different motive for you to just die in that house for them to pick up. Yeah. Mm. Good point. Isn't it? And a lot of people don't see it. I, I've seen like children who, you know, coming across like they're really helping, but in the end they had ulterior motives. Yep. Yeah, well, that was That's that case. The, the case I've got in Carrang at the moment where the lady's refusing to take offers on her two sons' advice. Mm. It, it's And it's madness. See, the money we got again, it was $40,000 more than the other agent told her. It's right on the figure I told her. Uh, it's unrenovated house that needs a lot of work. The house across the street just sold for not much more than what she's been offered, completely renovated on double the size block. Yep. Enter Huey, Dewey and Louie saying, Mum, don't take that. It's your, your first offer, you know. And I've had to stop. I've stopped doing open homes there. I've, I've just said to her, I said, I can't. Can't help you. I can't. I, know, I, hope, I hope your sons have got the 40 grand they've just cost you to, to help you move on. And she didn't like Like that was, you know, again, open, transparent and honesty. It wasn't an easy conversation and we probably didn't finish that conversation on the best of terms because I finished it with, I hope your family's spotting you the 40 grand they've just cost you. But that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, and and you know if they're waiting for an inheritance or something to come out of that, they're going to lose money on the other end too. So they're just they've yep. all shot themselves in the foot. But you know, on the same sort of train of thought, uh, there's a point that I've, I've I feel occasionally, and maybe sometimes our the agents fold in this is that the the vendor thinks there's three parties in the deal, not two parties, and they often feel there's the them, the buyer, and the agent, mm -hmm. and they don't feel the agent is on their side and they're the one team. And I think sometimes that's a big mistake of the vendors, not really taking that agent in, really opening up and, and utilising that agent to their full ability. Now, when you're using an agent at 1%, 1.5%, yeah, maybe there are three parties. Sometimes it is the agent's fault. But I think uh, in majority of cases, if you've got a good quality agent and you're a vendor, you really should be entrusting that agent to do the very best for We're you. We're assuming they pick the right agent. Well, exactly right. But I'm saying is sometimes that there may be that vendors thinking there are three parties yeah. in the deal rather than Which just the two. We've, you know, we as an industry have dug ourselves that hole because yeah. that's, that's the issue I've got up there is that the agents are working on turnover, not best possible results. Yeah. So they may be pushing you to take a sale. I love the line. They're, like, they're McDonald's agents. They sell the most burgers. It's just not good for you. <laughs> hey! I like that. So You can have that one. That's me on sellers, though. I was on to buyers next. Have we got yeah, anything else right. for the sellers? Got, I've still got some from, also from sellers. Oh. Um, uh, believe in the three parties. Uh, we sp spoke about that. Um, not asking help from their agents when they're actually going to buy. So if they're buying outside an area or buying uh, from another agent, how about you've... Because I know for a fact that I would, I'd do it for free, and I have in the mm. past. Help them to purchase their next property in in the negotiation process. If I have a, a superior negotiation skill to the agent that they didn't choose, mm. and they're going to go now buy something smaller off that agent, well, let's how about to get some more money in their pocket by helping them negotiate a lower fee on their purchase.
I, I think some owners don't feel they can come and ask the agent. I don't know if agents offer that to their owners. I actually look forward to the opportunity to be able to do that for my owners. Um, but I think that's one of the mistakes that maybe we overlook as agents explaining that to our owners. Oh, I always cool. throw it out there. Yeah. If you're going to buy on the other end and you want some help, I'll be able to put the bullshit meter on them for you. That's how I say it. Absolutely. So, if you hear anything you don't think is quite right, run it by me. Or if you want me to negotiate for you, I'll do it. Bullshit meter, charge, I like that. Uh, bullshit meter. That's good. And that's probably the, yeah, that's the last one I've got for uh, for for sellers. Oh, the other one I saw. The other one I had. Sorry, the other one I had within during sales process is um, a lot of people are don't like confrontation and they wait for things to fester um, before they bring open it out. Open and honest communication. And that yeah. open and honest communication and not holding your agent to account. So mm. if there's something you don't like, um, whatever it may be, speak to your agent mm. and really have that open, honest conversation with them during that fact. Because if, look, and I say my owners, if there's something that I don't know is broken, I can't fix it. Again, maybe that's the agent's fault, not explaining they want that level of communication. Well, that's not doing the right job when you set out the plan for, for doing the... Um the deal in the first place, the, the working together. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah for me, true. it's a case of, listen, we're a team now. Yes, I'm working for you, but I prefer to work with you. I hope you can tell that I'm pretty straight up front. So if I see a problem, you're going to hear about it. I expect the same in Vice return. Vice versa, yeah, perfect. Because, you know, we, we don't have to be best friends, but to get the best possible result, we're going to have to always be on the same page. What about, I keep thinking of ones now, we're rolling. What about the myth that um, and the mistake I've seen a lot and sometimes you can't do anything to help them is, oh, you never take the first offer. Yeah, again, that comes down into getting sold. Uh, where, where that's, been yeah, that's, that's been drummed into people, has it? has been drummed into people. I got the, my biggest story on that. We would have had the first million dollar sale in a certain suburb, never been offered. And the day before the house went on the market, I got these people an offer of a million dollars on the dot. We were wow. due to go on the market the next day. And we were expecting that figure or maybe a little bit more. Anyway, like it wasn't that was what yep. we were aiming for. And yep. oh no, if we've got this the day before we've gone on the market, imagine what's gonna happen. That buyer changed their offer to nine fifty when we tried to counter and um, ended up three months later the market had dropped and they ended up taking nine seventy six. There you go. But yep. um, people have got it drummed into their head, you never never take the first offer. Well that's all circumstance dependent, mate. If the Yeah, but that's human nature, man. Uh, I think that every one of us is a bit of a gambler. And in the gamble uh, psychology is that there's always something better out there. And the gamble's psychology is that you will always sacrifice the first one, right? They don't understand. What the agent, when he gets that, he's probably going to give it to the best crop. But when it comes to money, people don't believe in the best crop. They think that there's going to be a higher one because they said no to the agent. Yeah. Well, they think that because they haven't been on the market yet that properties need time. But as we've got to explain, it's not how long the house has been on the market, it's how long the buyer's been on the market. Yeah, It's, you know, I get it. People go, oh, you sold that quick, why should you get paid 3%? Because you're paying for all the work we've done for months and years before to have that buyer on our books for them to come and offer you a million dollars to I stop had. the property going on the market. Would you rather me sit on the market for six months and then I'm worth 3%? Is that, are we doing it on a time basis? So people forget to take circumstance. And obviously agents do a bad job of explaining circumstance versus the dollar figure. It's not about how long you've been on the market. It's sort of if, if you've set a plan and your goal is to get this price and that price comes, it doesn't matter when it comes, you've got to bloody look at accepting the price. It, a million dollar house is always going to be worth a million dollars. It's never going to be worth two. So what are we, what are we yeah. waiting for? It's an old analogy that I'm not old. It's actually new. FOMO, fear of missing out. Like Tom just said, we always think we always want to gamble. That there's something better on the other side. There's always something better coming up. 
Um, sometimes we sometimes the gamble's worth taking. If someone's Absolutely. offering, you know, in, in, in an area where the median house price is 670 grand, if someone's offering 50 grand under, that's not a gamble. No, that's your weight. common sense. You do, you do your thing. But right. if someone's so offering you on or above what you were hoping to achieve in the first place... Move on. Man, have a think about yep. it. And I'm, I don't know how you work, Chris, but I, I've... Life's too short. I've Life's never short. ever told an owner to take an offer. Our job is to inform them and present them with all the options and let them make an informed decision. Exactly I, right, I believe. Mate. I, I'll yeah. never. That's it. It's a conversation same. I just had with a lady on the phone. She, we were hoping for nine hundred thousand, and and there's been circumstances today where there's a very good chance that New South Wales is going to get shut down again. There's different things going on. She just had to make a decision on whether it was worth holding out for an extra ten grand or taking a bloody good offer as it was. Yeah, um, and she made that call, but. And it was a good offer. She said, what do you suggest? I said, no, nah, not my job. I said, I'll never, you know, I'm not here to tell you to take offers. Let's, let's look at all the facts. The facts are it's the only buyer we've got at this stage. The facts are it's percentage terms within a poofteenth of getting what we were hoping to achieve. <laughs> the facts are that things are going on in the market. We're very uncertain. Life's too short. What do you think? She said, mm. oh, yeah, I think yep. we'll take it. I want to tell you one thing about buyers and sellers this time. When you recruit someone, you have to apply what the old blacks have done in rugby, which is to recruit people based on their values. And the three top values of the old black is humility, excellence, and respect. I truly believe that if you really focus as a seller or even a buyer to dealing with only an agent who can have or espouse those three values in the way that you interview them, you'll be fine. If you have someone who seems to say all the right thing and who seems to have all the right answers the way that we spoke about, but they don't display humility, excellence, or respect for your home, for yourself, chances are you're going to lose anyway. So I think that the interview process of buyers and sellers has to be on the quality of the agent they're dealing with. If you have the bad agent, how do you know you're buying something great? If you have a bad agent, how do you know that the offer you're getting, he's really worked hard for? Yeah. A little bit off script, but on that line, I know so many people have been sold so many dud houses because of unethical agents. And, and apart from a pest and building inspection, which... I mean, that industry's got its own issues as far as getting a good report or not. What are some clues for buyers then to look after, to look out for? Is this agent having a lend of us? I mean, for me personally, one thing that would stand out, and I spoke about it in today's training with one of the one of the recruits, is if someone's trying to sell me a house, like really sell it to me, I've got to put a red flag up here and go, look, I know what a kitchen is, I know, I know enough because I'm not an idiot, I'm shopping for a house here. What are they trying to do to me here? How can a buyer tell if they're dealing? Because humility, excellence, respect, you, how do you work that out at an open home? When in a, in a good market at the moment, it's unfortunate, but a lot of people have got to make a decision within half an hour of an open home on whether they want to buy a place or not. And you know, the odds aren't in your favour about knowing whether the, the agent's being legitimate or not. How do we, how do we overcome no, that? I, I, even if you are meeting the agent at the open home, you can ask a few questions. One of the first questions I would ask, what would they take? If the agent tells me a figures, I already know this guy does not respect his own sellers. If he's about to just sell his own sellers, the person who's paying his fees, by just saying they would accept this, or if you gave me this, I can bring it to them and then we can start from there. You, we got a problem. You've got a guy who does not respect the guy who pays him. So what's the chance that he's going to respect you in dealing with you as a buyer? Yeah, but the, the opposite happens, Thomas, because the, the people ask that and you give them a price, they think you're the best agent in the world and you're going to work with them and you're, you're in their corner and they don't put the fucking combination together that says, hang on, I'm not paying this bloke, the person selling the house is, and this is the way they're talking. They think that, 
I always worry when, when a buyer comes off. Like, I, I want my buyers to respect the job we've done and I want a good relationship with them and I want a nice testimonial at the end. But I definitely don't want them thinking they've got a bargain and they should... You know, I want them thinking they should use me when they go to sell because of how yeah. hard the negotiation was yeah. and, and and things like that, not because they think I did right by them. Like that's I hate not buying good, from you, but I'd love to sell with you. That sort of mindset. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, so and but they don't. They go, oh, what will they take? And I go, oh, mate, well, I, throw in six twenty. I reckon I might it, be able to get it done for you. And they go, how good an agency? When I go to sell in seven years, that's who I want representing me. <laughs> you fucking idiot! What do you reckon he's going to do to yeah. your house? Look, I don't think in this market people. Well, I'm not seeing it. You might be a, a having to buy. They've been looking for a week and having to buy in the first or second house they've seen. I haven't seen that in this market. They've been able to take their time a little bit longer. Oh, that and and been in the market and looked at a few more homes. Um, but at the end of the day, there's an old analogy. If you've got bad taste, you can take your time. If you've got good taste, you know there's going to be other buyers there. I think you've got to go with your gut feel, but you've got to do research prior to go out and buying. This day and age, if you have not done your research in the area of buying, because information is so easy to come by, um, there's sold houses, bedrooms, mm -hmm. conditions, land size, it's all there, real estate domain, that's mm -hmm. all on the, on the web for you to see. That information, you can educate yourself. If you haven't done that, if it's your own fault, regardless of what how hard that agent's trying to sell it to you. Now, the only agent, I believe, is only going to be able to sell someone a house that wants to buy it anyway. Yeah, to a, to a certain point. But there's, yeah, I was just looking for red flags. See, I don't do it. Yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in the house sells itself. My job is to obviously point out anything that may go unnoticed to the naked eye, but... Yeah, my job is I, we start dancing when the numbers start flying, mate. When when yeah. off, you've decided you want to buy it, then my job takes over. My job is to negotiate with you again the best possible result. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing with buyers. One of the biggest mistakes buyers make then, though, and it, it's sort of counterintuitive to what I was just saying, is in our experience they don't believe what we're saying. So you know, well, I run a business of complete transparency and complete honesty. I yeah. will not tell you there's an offer on the table unless there's an offer on the table. I will not tell you um, there's other people interested in the property if I've got no one else interested in the property. And usually, but for your our exception buyers, to that case came for man, our that's an unfortunate thing, mate. Majority. Well, yeah, it's not unfortunate for us because we sell the house anyway. It's unfortunate for the guys who ring us back and go, "Oh, you sold it on me." Yeah, yeah we told you. Yeah, 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 exactly right. We we told you. So again, do your research, work out whether you're working with a, a con man or a, a scrupulous Absolutely. agent or not. But then, if you if you've got a good feel about the agent. You're buying a house off this person. Maybe you need to trust that what they're saying, that's right, is true. Yep. And we've seen time and time again. We get, you know, Ellie and I have, have had many a, an abrupt phone call with disgruntled buyers who, when we've said, "Listen, this is going to sell today. You need to get a move on," and we've sold it that day. And they're, "Well, what do you mean? What are you? What are you doing?" Well, we told you. Oh, yeah. But, but we told you. Yeah. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> I had that recently myself, but all good. Yeah, but all all good. again, you know, that's you. They, they have dealt with another five agents who told yeah, them the same thing and same. didn't happen. So they have to develop the ability to recognize the, you know, truth, the, the truth. Yeah. And the so how can they do that? agent to deal with. How can they do that? Question I'm and interview people. And, then, you know, listen, a person can lie to you on one thing, maybe two. Great people, maybe three. But if you spend five, ten minutes with the agent and you're asking them quite a number of questions, you will start to see a pattern mm. and you'll know straight away. Then, from then on, you can deal with that person. I'm truly a believer now that as a buyer, it's not just about going out with the stock. I, I'm If I was to buy a house, yeah, it's one thing to have a look at the stock. I would rather interview an agent and say, all right, find me the stock. 
because now I believe you, yeah. you know? Going out there and get the stock is just buying what's available. Mm. What about finding what's tailor-made? Yeah. What about the buyers who will let their dream property go for five or $10,000 because they didn't think they got a win? Yeah, that's... They um, deserve it. Yeah. They, they, they deserve We're to We're talking about it. the biggest mistakes, yeah? I, in, but a couple of mine with contradiction in mind, are, number one, are getting caught up in emotion. People sometimes just need to take a step back occasionally, but if it's their dream home... No, being, get a caught up in emotion, mate. We're here to get the best price for no, ourselves. Okay, we're, get talking, the best price for we're talking mistake of buyers, mate. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're taking the mistake of the buyers. Get mate. emotional about it. We want them to be emotional, but we're talking to the buyers directly now. <laughs> Getting emotional can cost you money. But by the same token, is not following their gut feel. If it's their gut feel, pay the extra five or ten to secure the home. If it's your forever after home, absolutely uh, secure. My, it. my thing is, friends would ring me and go, oh, Can you look at this house? And what do you reckon? And this and that. And I go, Listen, I can have a look for you, but do you want to buy it? They go, Yeah. Buy it. Yeah. Did yeah, it exactly feel like right. home when you walked into it? Yeah. Do you know how fucking hard it is to walk around 20 open homes on a weekend and find one house that actually feels like home? Don't fuck around over... You've got to look at it in percentage terms. In, in, if the market's going up 5% a year on average and then it has a, the odd downturn, how long is that 5, 10, 20 grand? Yeah. You know, I know someone at the moment who's paying $30,000 probably not going to pay more than they probably should for the house because it's the only house that suits a disabled child. Yeah. You buy the thing. The other one was uh, going beyond their budget. People finding the right home, um, but looking way outside their budget. Because you want to buy a home and be able to have a life, not to buy a home and be a prisoner to that home to be pay off a mortgage. Um, and we're talking benefits. I mean, we are, as agents, we want to get the best price for our owners, as we said. But for the buyers, going beyond your budget to a point where you're going to be a prisoner to that mortgage, you can't do it because you've still got to be able to have a life at the same time. Beggar's belief to me, the money that first home buyers are throwing around at the moment. Oh, I don't know how it's that... It's not my job to say that, uh, like, at, at the open uh, home. Are they throwing the money or are they throwing the mum and dad's money? Well, oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know, you know, man, we don't know. When, I, when you're selling a house to a 24-year-old couple yeah, who aren't married money. yet, who aren't married yet, but got these big dreams and they've got 650000 700000 No, mate, $950 million. Wow, wow. And part of you goes... Not working for them. I'm working for the owner, and if they're going to spend that money, yeah. they're going to spend that money. But yeah. you just you want to grab them and yeah. slap them and go. But that's I mean that comes back to rich dad, poor dad, and, and all that stuff. Where we're still in Australia, where you're taught to buy the Aussie dream and and pay off your house and do all this shit, and you're not a man until you own a property. When really what we should be doing is buying investment properties until they pay. For the pro like we can go off on a yeah, yeah, different yeah. tangent there, but so yeah, I I don't particularly feel bad or or worse or better for me. A buyer never spends money. A buyer parks some money for the next few years while he's living in the house. And the day that he will leave, he would want a a tiger like you to safeguard what he's parked, mm. the amount of money he's parked into the property. So I don't think that you need to really feel bad and to then answer the question that. Chris just had, what about going uh, for what you can afford? No, I truly believe you need to go for your dreams. If you can afford even more and it means that you're going to either go out there and earn more or uh, sacrifice yourself a little bit, do it. I think that buying a house that you want and you can afford, that you have dreamt of and you can jump that, that step, go for it. Don't buy a house you can afford. Go for a house that you really love. As long as you understand that you may have to sacrifice everything else you really love Absolutely. for that. Yeah. Absolutely. As long as you... Because remember this. A house is where you park money into. 
And that means the day that you're going to go, that house is going to make a lot of babies for you. And <laughs> you're going to be very happy. But on top of it, you know what? You've been living in a place you wanted. Mm. Humans, we always manage to find a way to earn more, to, to meet our needs, to go out there and get what we deserve. So I, I think that maybe that's what we need to be doing. I wouldn't push buyers just to go for what they can afford. I would I push, push buyers to, to go for what they really dream of. Yeah. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know one more, one more, guys, because we're running out of time here now. What what would be a, a big mistake that we need to share? The only one I've got left, well, one listening to the TV instead of doing market research, you know, coming at me and saying, oh, it's coronavirus, you know, I'm going to offer yeah. you 50% less than I should. Well, you're a goose, go away. But again, trusting people external to the industry when we say we get a deal done and we're in a cooling off period now the amount of times where instead of an issue might arise and instead of calling the agent go hey this this issue's arisen what do you reckon we can do about it they go straight to their solicitors their solicitor's job is very very black and white there is no gray in the law side of things and the deal blows up over a cracked roof tile yeah because I've read them bloody solicitors' emails that go back and forth. They're never nice. They're never, hey, man, there's a cracked roof tile. What do you reckon we can do about it? My client refuses to proceed any further until, fuck, and you get the call off your vendor and go, I've just got this email from my solicitor and you didn't know anything about it. I think one of the biggest mistakes buyers make is, again, through lack of trust, not involving the agent that they're buying the house off in the in the post-transaction sort of dealing. So I think it, it's cost many people a house they love. We're talking about buying a house you love and dream of. You know, I've, I've seen people miss out on a house because of a dodgy building report that said there was termites when we later found out there was none. I've seen... Yeah, but, but I called it a spin, mate. That's all. That's how the solicitors now can claim $2,500 for oh, his... Mate conveyance yeah for instead of the 990 that he originally did to mm. fool this dude it mm. come on man a we, massive you know mistake, that. Yeah. i know that yeah right? so they come up with crap mistake. in order to just demand more for their own fees i know why they do it but and then you get first home buyers never been in the situation before and is nervous and as hell scared. and you get some money hungry solicitor who's charging them 200 bucks an email yeah um massive blue massive blue if yep. you if you're buying a house off your agent and and Everything feels right. Talk. But Talk. it's also our fault. I, I mean, there's there's a reason why we're the uh, second least admired or respected profession on the planet. Yeah. Because there's so many people who are going through Woolies or Coles kind of CPD, go out there, yeah. lie their ways, but they are such an artist in, in terms of communication that really a lot of people lose. And and when and, and because a house is the biggest thing in people's life, when they lose there, the impact of the pain is big. It's a little bit like losing your first boyfriend or girlfriend. You always remember. It's, it's that most impactful event in your life. Hence, it's very difficult when you have a solicitor who, by the way, is very close to the salesperson, but solicitors has got a little bit more integrity. People go with what's natural. You know, they don't go with case by case and say to themselves, hold on, I have interviewed this agent. He's got, he showed me the right humility, the right level of excellence and the highest level of respect. I should treat him as equal as to the lawyer that I have selected, who should really also show me the highest level of H-E-R. I All never right? lose a girlfriend, mate. They always lose me. <laughs> just wanted to say. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say. <laughs> Listen, boys, I don't know about this concept of one bottle. It's good. Probably it would be uh, great maybe for people listening to let us know because I find us a little bit more serious. 
and uh, I'm starting to already miss the second even, bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I'm not sweating because it's hot. I'm sweating. <laughs> Is there any more the in that fucking empty. bottle over there? I just saw Chris drink the dregs and then we I'm just thinking maybe we should stick to one bottle, but it better be a Magnum or some shit like this, you know? Well, we, well the problem is we've dug ourselves a hole because we said we were doing it for health reasons. I was going to say, why don't we get a $100 bottle and a couple of $10 bottles for the, for the finish off, but that doesn't help the health problem. I was nearly going to bring a second bottle with oh, me too. Mate, no, 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 no. We're going to have to try this and, and, and if we... Nothing's Can permanent, mate. Let's, Absolutely. Let's look after ourselves Go for the, the next flow. month and then... Go uh, with the flow. It's dry July. I'm looking forward it? to the day that we bring goon bags in. Oh, yeah. I'll be wine in a can. Play spin the clothesline with the, the goon... Oh, you guys never would have played that. You're too upper class, right? <laughs> you know there's a game where you, you, you attach a goon bag to one section of a clothesline and everyone stands around the clothesline and you spin the clothesline. Right. Wherever the goon bag stops, you've got to skull for 10 seconds. Oh, I haven't. No, uh, no. Welcome to Australia, boys. <laughs> spin the goon bag. The now I know why the clotheslines over here are all spinning. <laughs> yeah, yeah good game. I and then no the best part is you lose too often. The goon bag doubles as a pillow because you blow it up afterwards. <laughs> you can fall asleep on the yeah. oh. oh well. Awesome. Good on you, boys. Thank you very much for this week. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, Catch lads. up soon. Talk soon. Talk to you, to you then. Bye.